All right. Now, there's some uh, headphones for you right there. Oh, heck yeah. And then uh, that mic right there is for you. You can just like pull it wherever it's most comfortable. Normally about like this far from you is like okay. going to be the best because they're pretty sensitive. Hello. Hello. This feels good. <laughs> can you hear yourself okay? I could. Cool. One, two, test. Yeah. It's like we're in a real like uh, radio type <laughs> thing. Let me get the actual the grit in my voice. Yeah. I yeah. sound professional now. Thanks for helping me sound professional. You're welcome. Um, yeah. So welcome to uh, to the podcast, Tim. And uh, this is actually like the uh, a little bit of like a cold start uh, in a way where we're just jumping into it. You just showed up like 10 minutes ago. So, right. Yeah. Um, Thank you for uh, for being like uh, such a good sport. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and dude. yeah, so uh, the you know this podcast is called Songwriters Therapy, um, and uh, I think you've listened to it before. So I really appreciate that. Um, we start every podcast with me asking uh, Tim Dara, like, why are you here on this podcast? Um, other than that, I went really out of my way to hit you up because I was super interested <laughs> on getting on. Uh, I would say. Um, maybe sheesh by accident. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. In a big picture, I, I don't know what would make me, what I could draw back to what would make me a singer songwriter. Um, definitely do both, but I haven't had the ability yet to showcase that in a band, the mm. bands I've been in. I've always played guitar. I've been starting to um, learn more about myself. Um, getting comfortable with my voice, how to apply that within what I could do. Uh, and I think one of the, this, something like this year, as well as like doing this solo EP I was talking about is one of the steps forward for me to grow because I felt like I was plateauing with everything I was doing. Mm -hmm. As more of a lead guitarist, or I don't even know if you'd call it lead guitarist, but just soul guitarist in, in a way yeah just all around just playing the guitar and then mm -hmm. I, i've always felt like i wanted to sing or have more i guess ownership or passion toward what i was playing see i was so into uh playing really technical stuff yeah like as a teenager you know mm -hmm. i was in a tech death and like <laughs> all that stuff and i had long hair all the way down the yeah line, like my back and um so I was all about like, let's just play crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, didn't really have uh, enough emotive qualities to mm -hmm. it. Was never really writing things that I felt like I cried over, you know? Yeah, yeah. Up until recently. But yeah, I don't cry. Recently. Only alone. Not yet. <laughs> so uh, when you were starting out um, as a guitarist when you were younger, um, what were some of the, the bands that were like influencing you to go more towards like the the technical side of playing guitar and playing more of that uh, technical style? I think a lot of it came um, at first from my father. He's mm -hmm. been playing guitar for like 30 years. Wow. The guy himself, he, he used to play like death metal. Whoa, um, cool. Like back in like Laos, mm -hmm. right? Before he ever came to America. Mm -hmm. He was playing the shows of like 1,000, 2,000 people. Yeah. Like a loud death metal band, <laughs> which is... Oh you're 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 playing death metal, which is arguably niche enough, mm -hmm. and then you're also Laotian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> your audience is uh, people who speak that language in the country that's the size of Rhode Island. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, anywho, 
uh, a lot of the metal music he would play, I got into. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was around 12, 13, started playing guitar. Uh, something about my dad was he was always particularly cold with the way he would show me things. Yeah. And in fact, he was quite busy, so I never really like got lessons from him. Mm-hmm. Looked up things on the internet. Yeah. Every time I'd come back to show him something, before I could even get done playing it, he would stop me to tell me what my bad habits were. Oh man. Right. Yeah. It was cold. It wasn't Yeah. You're not only are you self taught, you're also like harshly criticized. Right, right. And the environment on reflection wasn't isn't terrible. It wasn't like the worst thing. It, yeah. it, it brought my skills up just mm-hmm. like a, a good coach would bring out of yeah. somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, being 14, 15, I was in a lot of bands in particular, like death metal, death core, like Carnifex, mm-hmm. Dying Fetus, uh, Wretched. Mm-hmm. Um, all these bands kind of paved the way for my uh, mechanical ability. Sure. But the problem I, I've come to realize after high school with that is um, when your niche, like let's say, I hate that buzzword, um, yeah. but you're you're pretty much rock. You go, you go down the tree line, the tree branch to hard rock, to heavy metal, mm-hmm. to death metal, and then and then the subgenre. I mean, it's arguable. We don't like the term subgenre, but you come down to a point in this like doll that opens up a bunch of other dolls, Russian yeah, dolls, yeah, the Russian doll, yeah. where you are just a very specific sound, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's only so many scales I found that worked for tech death mm-hmm. that things I were playing, I either sounded like they were Egyptian or mm-hmm. it were like, like, like ancient European, you know? Yeah. I want to learn more things, mm-hmm. but again, I also wasn't really emotive with it. Yeah. Just a lot of diddly doing. You know? <laughs> um, but that that's the foundation of, of my background with music. I would say in the last only three years or so, uh, I've kind of taught myself to appreciate like other things. Mm-hmm. Just a strange thing to say. I'm not a great music listener. Mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't listened to like obligatory albums like front to back. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So when you were younger and you were more into playing kind of the tech death and listening to those bands, did, was there ever, um, was there ever like even on the side, some other type of music that, that you did maybe cry over or was, uh, you could feel differently about than the more tech death stuff? I think as mellow as it could get for me was, um, like, I remember My Chemical Romance is Cancer. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Really I love that song. song. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And I remembered I was literally at uh, my grandfather's desk using the computer. I was mm-hmm. like 13 or something. I don't know, yeah. 12. And uh, I was listening to it, and I started crying. And I was like, this is tight. Like, yeah. I'm crying over this. Yeah. And, uh, there, there are other material. Like, I bought Three Cheers. And a lot of that, even though it is punk music, and I, I guess in a way it was the most mellow thing that wasn't tech death that I was yeah. listening to at the time. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm sure diff- people have different opinions about My Chemical Romance, but I I personally love that band. They were never my favorite or a go to for me. But what I loved about them is 
they were every genre in a way where they were not every single genre, but right. it, within rock, they had this punk sensibility. They had this like pop, obviously pop. Right. Um, and, uh, and they also, you know, were kind of emo and they had like guitar solos like Queen. So they had classic rock. They're just kind of encapsulate a lot of different things that I love about it. And that song Cancer, especially. It's yeah, a really meaningful, deep song. That was, I think, in between when they were doing Three Cheers and the Black Parade, mm-hmm. where uh, every listener can kind of get the sense that they were, lack of a better word, maturing or yeah. trying to change their sound. Definitely. Which is fine enough. Yeah, you know? yeah. Ten records of the same thing is... Every band's got to grow. Away. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, if you understand afterwards, I guess the Baroque or theatrical sensibilities of the black mm-hmm. parade yeah like the queen inspiration like yeah. we say then it makes so much more sense yeah but i remembered being a teenager and being <laughs> like what is this yeah and being super ignorant yeah like, what this isn't this isn't fucking circle pit music and then <laughs> you know i grew up too right yeah so yeah i mean some sometimes you're uh sometimes bands you listen to move on a little bit before you do um, and it's nice, it's nice when we catch up and, and are able to grow ourselves and like realize like, oh man, that maybe I do like that dude. Right. <laughs> like a good example too, in the same kind of realm mm-hmm. was uh panic at the disco. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They did, uh, uh, what is the album that's from nine in the afternoon? Pretty odd. Right? Yeah. Was pretty it? odd. Right. Right. Yeah. You could tell they were going, uh, for this like type of Beatles throwback almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely went from a band that was. Um, enjoyed by people who were into, I mean, all the early stuff, I wouldn't even call it punk, but they were on a, they were on a pop punk label and it was, you know, it did have that feeling. And then they go to this, like, this is our version of like the white album in Abbey Road. Right, right, right. And on reflection again, solid album, but that, that was just the, uh, Mm -hmm. I guess the toxicity of expectations. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, things like those albums in particular too, mm-hmm. although on reception were hard to were, were was a hard pill to swallow as a fan, yeah. a young fan, uh, were one of the examples that were like, you know what, like this, there's there's nothing wrong with this, and there's nothing wrong with me doing other things too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it takes someone like a figurehead or a band that's like a figurehead to kind of catch that flack first mm-hmm. to show you things you didn't really know you liked. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think it's it's also interesting how like um, music is kind of cyclical in a way where, um, you know, we might still follow bands that we've been following for 10 years and we've grown with that band as that band has grown and as we've grown. And right now, um, there are probably young bands that I'm ignorant to because I'm, you know, probably an old dude now that people in high school are listening to. And and they put out their first album and it like rocked hard and their next album is going to be their like pretty odd or their exploration. Yeah. <laughs> thing. And all these people in, in you know, younger people there, they might say something about, like, oh, this sucks. You know, I love their old one, but, you know, they'll grow and they'll get Dude, it. Right. And I, just keep doing circles like that. I really like that you say that because um, uh, two things. The, the first thing is Internet now is just, there's just something for everybody. Yeah. You know, whereas before then, before the Internet, whatever was popping was like popping. Yeah. Like you, you just happen to know it. Yeah. Uh, you really didn't really go out of your way to just find stuff or like some band 
in the farming town Midwest would only have like local listeners, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty tough time. But mm -hmm. the other thing too is, um, the kind of, like you said, the cyclical generations with listeners, because for myself, I remembered being a teenager and my uncles and like older peers would be like, bro, you like, don't listen to Sepultra or like, <laughs> I don't know if I even said that right. Yeah, Same I don't even me. know who that uh, is. Like, you don't listen to Mudvayne and you like metal, oh, man. you know? And I'm like, uh, shoot, my bad. You know, yeah. I listen to, I don't know, Whitechapel. And that stuff was popping 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years before that, some other stuff was popping, right? So yeah. uh, it totally is applicable to like the generation, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I, I think you're right or... You know, one thing that's really interesting, you said about someone kind of saying like, dude, you don't listen to this. I think as like older, uh, like stewards of music and as musicians or just fans of, of music and genre music. Mm -hmm. um, it sucks to see people who are gatekeepers that are like, dude, you don't listen to this or at least frame it in a negative way. Right. Like, um, you know, I, I've always found people who turn me on to stuff who maybe have been older or maybe my age and just more exposed because they, they had someone who showed them. Mm -hmm. um, it sucks when someone puts you down for not listening to something, but it's awesome when someone's like, you like that band, let me sh let me blow your mind with this band and they play it for you in, in a more positive light. Right. Just the framing of like, of, you know, um, like cross-generational uh, communication on music is like super important. That is very important. And I find that nowadays there is some type of propaganda amongst the word memes. There's some propaganda amongst memes um, yeah. where it's like they'll take a band that might, let's say, objectively enjoyable uh, and then meme the heck out of it yeah. and, and ruin yeah. this band and the way it's perceived. And more recent examples that I can see, in particular to indie music, bands that kind of paved the way 10 years ago, like Tame Impala and like yeah. Vampire Weekend. Mm-hmm kids now that would arguably be i'm sorry to say maybe lumped into that indie category yeah uh, or throwback type of category um they kind of look at you know senior senior bands like tame impala and vampire weekend because they were made it to a degree like they're corny or not yeah you know cool enough uh and so they like think they're subverting by listening to things they're into now, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lack of music that is timeless in that way. I don't know. Yeah. You know, so um, that's something I try to recognize. But then again, just to draw it in a circle, you, you just make music, you just make music. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I mean, there, there's like, um, we we all are like multifaceted and like part of us wants to be like, like good stewards of music and have good practices. And then the other half, we just want to rock out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to juggle. I've, I'm no ambassador of any amount of fame. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think anybody who writes music can agree that at a certain degree, you, you want good reception. Yeah. Yeah, that, exactly. Even yeah. if you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like a, a super spiritual person, but I, I like to think of myself as like believing in, karma of some sort and i don't really think like karma in like the traditional sense but more of like balances in the universe mm -hmm. and so it's kind of a like you know you you are good 
you put out good and you receive good. And I kind of think like that goes hand in hand with like music in a way, like, you know, you're good to your fellow musicians, you're good to people who might listen and, you know, hopefully they'll be good to you. They'll listen to your stuff. They'll put, put you on shows with them, you know? Right. It is very mathematical in that way. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're talking my language. <laughs> um, that, uh, that type of, uh, uh behavior and and Mm -hmm. way of conducting yourself i think goes beyond just if you played good music and were a jerk yeah exactly i think this is definitely true i you know there's like a trifecta i'd Mm -hmm. like to think of working with other people whether it's your promoter booker or somebody in your own band yeah and it is um commitment talent and attitude Mm -hmm. are the three and you, you you know you'll normally hit somebody with the talent and the commitment yeah but the bad attitude or maybe somebody with a great attitude and commitment but he's still learning yeah or maybe somebody who is talented is a great guy but has a hard time showing up to practice yeah. right yeah that's like the triangle i see yeah and whether it's practice or like pulling through on your promise for a show mm-hmm. um the, those are just the three values that we we have to remember when we you know, uh, um, interact with other yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's super true. And I've been definitely been in bands where you're with people that maybe they're not missing fully one of those, but like for attitude, uh, for example, maybe you just have different conflicting attitudes. It's not that someone is like a bad person, yeah. but you have conflicting attitudes in, in how you just want to hold yourself and behave within that unit. Um, and it makes it makes things not work out or you have different levels of commitment you know one person might be trying to make a career out of it and what and another person might just be like trying to have a good time yeah you're telling me dude (laughs) the story of almost everything i've done uh again the karma thing i think what's important is to just enjoy yourself yeah i um i have been in bands in particular where somebody was very passionate uh, about wanting to take it to the next level, mm-hmm. uh, take it seriously in the sense that you put in 110%. Um, it shows your dedication, but I guess, I think that's like a subjective like gauge yeah. to yeah. hold somebody to. Because mm-hmm. it, it kind of, in a way, took away ownership from me in yeah. what I was doing. It made me feel like, dang, I'm not working that hard as like this other band member. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what is my input? Or like, why what's wrong with me like why am i not yeah uh, as zealous about it yeah i mean i've definitely felt the same way in uh in different like musical situations where maybe someone was i don't want to say working harder but just doing things in a different way right that, that you know made me feel like either i had to catch up with them Mm-hmm. or or sucked because i wasn't able to do the things that they were able to do you know what right. I, mean? I was and just differently abled in that band you're not, right it's you neither know. that one is wrong or right it's, yeah. it's the way you frame the question when you come up with it yeah exactly if you frame it this way such as in i'm doing this what are you doing or like yes then that that's I generally mean, negative yeah that goes back to attitude really you know like mm-hmm. if if someone someone within your group is you know treating you like because you're not doing the same thing that mm-hmm. they're doing that you are doing less than mm-hmm. that that's when it starts to suck and and vice versa you know if if you're that person that is you know doesn't see the other person as like equally contributing or 
um, you know, it really goes back to that relationship dynamic that is a band, you know, a band's yeah. like romantic in a You're way. You're dating and your band members. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you are feeling, you know, less than, or if you feel like someone else in your band is contributing less than, maybe there's something up with your relationship and you need to like, yeah, go to band therapy. It's not me, or, it's you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just that, know, it's just like, you need to check you know, uh, reevaluate what's going on there. And, and, you know, I've definitely seen bands that let their problems go too far and they lose a good member or, you know, or they break up altogether. Right. You know? um, and I think it's important to treat a band like a relationship that you want to continue. And, you know, like in my personal relationships outside of music, the ones that are lasting are the ones where we're able to have like conversations and talk about our problems. And even if we don't solve them, we like, we like recognize them and, and are um, dedicated to work with each other. Right. Know? Communication definitely is key. Um, yeah. And the thing about the band dynamic uh, about, you know, just enjoying yourself as, yeah, as tropey as it may sound, it's so true because yeah. I remembered playing, a series of shows it was almost a tour pretty much mm -hmm. i was exhausted and sure that's the grind um but other than being exhausted it wasn't like when i went up there i was like living for that moment to show people what i was making you know mm -hmm. and i was thinking about people back home like in very in particular pine and palm thinking like damn they're like down to do it with like their ride or dies and they're yeah. having the time of their lives with the people they want to whether yeah. or not whatever they're doing I haven't been in a band as long as four years, you know, mm -hmm. the people like that become like family, you know? I mean, yeah. Well, they yeah, are. Definitely. Shay and Tanner are family, but yeah. you see what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, so my band that I play with the core of it, um, you know, whether we've been as active as other bands, we've been together for over 10 years. Um, me, Oscar and, uh, Mike. and Mike and, and Brandon's been playing with us. Ah, oh, he's been playing with, low speedkeepers for four years now and i've played with him for Dang. like four years before that in a different band so we have been you know well think about this i and many other people outside of music and maybe yourself too yeah haven't had friends that you might see every day or every week for 10 years yeah, yeah. you might have a, a group of friends or a spurt where you see these types of friends for two three years but then people get busy yeah um something about making music with that much dedication it's like dude the only person i've known for 10 years mm -hmm. that i still see uh every other day is probably like my my drummer chris rebus yeah who used to drum in yugen mm -hmm. um and him and i really didn't start making music together up until two years ago you know yeah so Again, that's the only person I could think of I've known since like high school, right? Yeah, yeah. That I see regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's super dope. Yeah, yeah. Still out. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I definitely don't like discount the that time frame, and and you know, they really are my family. Like, I, I definitely yeah. see them and uh communicate better with them than you know my some of my actual family you know some of my mm. brothers and mm -hmm. it'd and be like, like that. that it does you know <laughs> it, it like this that's the kind of stuff that makes me cry is you know like um just that that deep like bond that you share with another person whether you know there's mm -hmm. there's someone that you happen to happen to just like be in the same like uh you know like excel spreadsheet boring, <laughs> like computer class in high school that you're forced to take and they're just happy or they 
you know, like I'm, I'm describing like meeting Oscar. Like we literally met like a uh, funny, funny thing. Like uh, I think um, I was a sophomore and he was a freshman in high school and in the morning it was cold. So I went into the computer lab to hang out and like catch up on homework or something. And him and our friend Ian were watching the used and my chemical romance on videos stage, yeah. online because like like school had DSL, but like at home, you know, it was still dial up. Yeah. But like it was like even pre YouTube. I don't re- maybe it was the beginning of YouTube. What, what I don't could remember. it have been on? Yeah, if it wasn't. Like it, <laughs> it had to be like. Do you remember this website called AbsolutePunk.net? Yeah, I, I remember feel that. Like like I feel like they had to have probably gone to AbsolutePunk.net and found like a link to a video that was probably on there like that, like an mpeg yeah. like windows media player yeah yeah we're buffers for two yeah. years <laughs> yeah exactly it was like gerard way and burt mccracken on stage yeah. doing their duo yeah yeah exactly how yeah. sick yeah how Good sick memories. same you know same thing for me i i met chris revis in high school mm-hmm. um we both had skinny jeans and like fringe haircuts yeah really long i remembered i only knew him in passing and then one day I was, I think I was listening to, I forget what band I was listening to on my phone. Uh, it was like this MP3 on a, on a, you know, a T9 phone. I yeah. just, I just managed yeah. to put it on there. Yeah. And so I was listening to the same songs over and over. And mm-hmm. he, he was like, at lunchtime, he was like, dude, you're listening to that. You should check out Vela Maya. And then he just like walked off. That, see, that's like the positive spin. You right. like that? Maybe you'd like this too, not like. And then like he walked off, sucks. and I was like, "I'll check them out." And then I checked them out. I was like, "Dude, this goes hard." And mm. so, um, yeah, I told him, and been going hard ever since. That's awesome. Him and I have been going hard on each other ever since. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is like that though. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm excited. I think above all, I'd love to have him by my side with whatever we do. Yeah. So. And so he's playing with you in in the current project that you're songwriting project that you're working on right right um there's two things there's the kind of solo project that's all mainly glitched music and samples and stuff is that what's on on spotify under tim dara that is okay yeah i listen to the two songs oh i thank you yeah um and if 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 it's gonna go live he's gonna drum awesome i know he could hit those um we have this thing we're starting it's a math rock Mm-hmm. Tr- trio nice um we're unsure about the basis just yet he's rather busy mm-hmm. but he's going to be drumming for that and the stuff we would hope to be for it to be off the wall like, yeah uh just perhaps the most challenging stuff we could play mm-hmm. um as far as songwriting goes because uh, it, it would force me to not play as much leads and really focus on whatever whatever i'm doing rhythmically yeah um I find that leads, you play them so fast or a certain speed and you have a certain scale, mm. you can't help but write a lead section that is just catchy, but uh, there's only so many notes, yeah. right? Whereas with rhythm, I really love rhythm because you can use negative space mm-hmm. and timing to use the maybe just two or three notes to make something so much more memorable i yeah. feel like than perhaps a lick mm-hmm. uh, and i could lead in solo but man i've been really into figuring out different ways to play rhythms um that's that's what i've been kind of focusing on recently and that's cool. why i want to keep it a trio too so yeah it's really raw yeah yeah um, yeah i mean i love a good trio you know 
it's it keeps the spirit of like when you're at the show mm-hmm. this minimal amount of sound makes it very garage yeah in that sense. definitely are you gonna be singing in the the math rock trio i will be awesome and yeah. i'm i'm really putting myself to the test there but it's mm-hmm. something i want to do yeah i mean putting to the test because it's one thing to like sing and mm-hmm. maybe sing in boxes that are comfortable yeah but a lot of these songs are going to be in like seven over eights and like mm-hmm. five over fours and nice. when you feel like there's going to be a quarter count and just mm-hmm. your natural rhythm you then get caught off guard because it kind of resets sooner than you had hoped yeah so now yeah. you got to fit these words that you wrote into these asymmetrical atypical type yeah. of rhythms it's it's a different pattern and and you're totally right about it being like asymmetrical um i'm so used to writing like pop songs and writing over the typical like um four four three four right um i have this like piano lick that i want to like turn into something and it's like one of the first things it's in like um it's in seven i think oh I nice need to, i need to play it again um and and like you know, I hum over it I'm, uh, as I'm playing it. But like, man, it's it's so hard to like break out of that like mindset that it's like almost it's almost natural to um to us like growing up and listening to pop music for so long to have those typical like time signatures and know where words fall, and yeah. now relearning to how to like place words on that like um grid yeah on that different grid you know i think what's crazy is it's something so inherent with however the way humans like to process mm-hmm. sounds that we hear yeah i think music's phenomenal enough even a hundred hundreds of years ago yeah the fact that we are manipulating vibrations to be enjoyed yeah it literally at that point maybe during beethoven and bach times was like the pinnacle of i guess creative leisure other than art that you could look at Mm -hmm. um there are only the two i guess but something about all those people that have written music before somehow they all decided you know quarter counts are good yeah they're symmetrical my my the freud in me is satisfied by these boxes we've made uh and it's just so natural that's why i think it's inherent to like those and Mm -hmm. You could do it wrong. There are bands that want to be progressive and are so into themselves that they make something I feel like might be my opinion, just like unlistenable. Mm-hmm. Like it lacks a rhythm, and you at least need that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to cite anything, mm-hmm. um, but you you get my point, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there there is a, a fine line to walk. Uh, a good example mm-hmm. that nobody ever knows is the song "Hey Ya" yeah. by Outkast. Something like it's uh, thirteen counts. It goes something like "bump, bump, bonnet, bump, tap, bump, bump, bonnet." Yeah, it's kind of weird. Bump, bonnet, bump. Right. So, mm. but you didn't know that. Yeah. But they're yeah. a Grammy-winning group. Like yeah. that's it's super sick, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the best way to do it. Is is you have it in there, in ways that make sense and are still appealing mm-hmm. um because we were talking before the podcast yeah about jamming in guitar center and like maybe playing like odd meter stuff on your guitar alone with no accompaniment mm-hmm. you're gonna sound like you have like no sense of time like people listening in on you without accompaniment will think this guy 
he's is ex- trying to find it. He hasn't found it yeah, yet. Yeah, he hasn't found it <laughs> yet, you know? Uh, and that's just how it goes. It, it's yeah. all the accompaniment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something magical about, like, um, taking whatever it is that you're producing sonically and aligning it with, like, two other people or one other person at least and and get, having that, like, fusion of sound that just starts to make sense, you know? Yeah, when you get in that pocket and yeah. you look at your drummer or your bass, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, like, what did we whoa. just do? Yeah. yeah. It's, that's one of the things that's always super funny to me because there's this side of music that is like mathematical and um and like you can you can literally write everything that you're doing down and it's like re- reciting a book and it it could be almost sounds not that the music sounds, but like me describing that almost sounds like a sterile academic thing. Right. But then there's this magic in music, regardless of like how good and technical or how well, you know, music theory or like how, you know, ignorant you are to that stuff. And just like a musician that like can play by ear and feel there's something magical about like playing with someone else and you click and you accidentally or on purposefully, but in your mind, you're, you're not forcing your fingers to like play those notes. You, you just play them for some reason. Yeah. You don't know why. And you're like, what did I just play? That is the coolest thing right, ever. Right, right. That's a surprise. And I think that's, uh, that's something that's just how it goes. Um, I'm not classically trained to any degree. I can't yeah. read music. Mm-hmm. Um, I only can read tabs. But even people who, you know, have gone to school for music, like your friend you had uh, on uh, the show yeah, the other time. Grimnir. Grimnir, yeah. right. Um anybody can appreciate the cornerstones and and Mm -hmm. parts of music that make it enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, you'll find snobs are the ones who can't enjoy punk rock because they would argue it all sounds the same, you know, or like things like that, but, but they don't get the idea that the attitude and what you want out of the music Mm -hmm. would come first. Um, and this is true for even hip hop. Yeah. And I'm glad that unanimously groups of people are done hating hip hop. Yeah. It was an elitist thing like 10 years ago to be like, oh, it's just drums and a guy yeah. rhyming. Like, nah, man. Uh, stuff's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, producing's hard to do. Rapping and, and having that lyricism is hard to do. Um, but it just takes that change yeah. amongst big groups of people yeah, it's to a realize. Culture shift. It's a culture shift. Yeah. Um, when we realize we like different music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think on the horizon, I would imagine that people would start being more into, I guess, um, oddly structured music or mm-hmm. time signatures. I was hesitant to say that, reluctant to say that, because, yeah. God, it sounds so prudish and snobbish to be like, well, I hope one day, you know. Yeah. But I'm just saying. I, yeah. Eventually, we'll run out of things to do. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's also another uh, side to being a little bit snobbish about uh, music. Like you mentioned, people who like put down punk rock mm-hmm. um, for being simplistic in a way it all sounds the same i i think it's interesting where there's things in punk rock and just regular rock where so many different songs for example are like the 12 bar blues even in punk rock and mm. and you know every type of rock it's right. 12 bar blues like there's so many songs that i never even realized they were, they were the 12 bar blues until i had to like play them 
I just happened upon like, oh, I want to cover that song or something. And you're like, like, oh shoot, I'm I'm like, this is oh, pentatonic this. A. Yeah, yeah, this is like, and even it's just so amazing how you know musicians can take something that is like seems so basic and uh, it's like water. And they mm-hmm. put their flavor into it, and it's a completely different drink. You and know, that's the point. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's the freaking point. Yeah. Um, you're gonna ruin music for yourself if you you <laughs> behave any other type of way. I yeah. think, like but, if you were just reading music on paper, how boring would that be? Right. That's you know? like if you were writing a book and you're like, too many people use the word the. Yeah, it's way too mainstream. The, I'm not gonna use the anymore, yeah. <laughs> or I'm not gonna use any words anymore you know what i mean it's like these are the building blocks you Mm -hmm. you have to work with it yeah uh you know a chef wouldn't say we're we're not going to use this anymore because everybody uses it yeah it works for the dish no more (laughs) salt yeah (laughs) what a crime um but um that's that you know i find that on the cutting edge of music Mm -hmm. as people try to discover new things the masses uh, and majority people are more willing to accept it. Yeah. Uh, like there was a time before when people would call EDM music all EDM techno. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like techno? Didn't know, you know? know. <laughs> yeah. Techno, yeah. you know? <laughs> and now EDM music is enjoyable by, shoot, anybody. People yeah. are going to festivals that are uh, uh, different, you know, groups of people. Yeah, man. I backgrounds. Was, I was thinking about. I, I don't really listen to EDM music and and know that much about it, but I was just thinking about like through the years, electronic music in general as like as a blanket statement, how different how it's like rock music, you mm-hmm. know. Um you can say rock music about My Chemical Romance, mm-hmm. Blink One Eighty Two, Led Zeppelin. You can name all of these bands who play rock music, but they almost seem worlds apart if you actually listen to them. Um, and I was thinking about when I was really young and my brother was older than me, there's these things called raves and everyone was afraid. Like my, like my parents were oh, like, Oh, yeah. don't go to raves. That's where people do, do drugs and they die and they get trampled. And, and, and thinking back, you think about like in movies when they represent, when they had raves, yeah. it was like, it was like the matrix, you know, it yeah. was like, it was like goth electron, like German goth electronic, you know? And it was like very, you know, like like nine inch nails, but to the extreme. Right. And and now I think about like EDM. I, I think I thought about this because I saw someone had like an like a, a EDC license plate. Like everyone's welcome at EDC. Like, oh, I feel it. And and I started thinking about like people I know who like have gone to these carnivals or worked at them. And well, I guess that one's called a carnival, right? Electric yeah. Daisy Line Carn- Carnival or yeah. something. And I was like what a different world like electronic music is now. It's so seems so like opening and accepting and like, um, I, I'm sure there's like sonically there's different genres that play these places, but I just thinking about the history of it and yeah, sort of bring that up. It's nuts uh, that it came such a far away. Yeah. Uh, it used to be really particular to whatever vibe or aesthetic you would associate like yeah. cyber goth or yeah. what. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but now I think it's become so likable because the conventions of it are the same as like composing a piece yeah i remember i was talking with uh at like my buddy's graduation party and i was talking with his uncle Mm -hmm. and he was like oh that you know uncle he's like all all that edm and like skrillex stuff that's not music man and i was like 
yeah it is you're like composing things yeah you're yeah. each track by track you're dialing that in and you're mm -hmm. telling it what to do on yeah. a keyboard you have to tell a story in order to especially with that you know you yeah. have to tell a story with what you're doing you're writing something that has peaks and valleys and keeps people interested if they were just playing the whole like like is the the like typical like that's all that's like it's a molly fever dream yeah exactly like how boring these shows would be regardless of what drugs you may or may not be taking you know what i mean be very upset to be bored at a show while on drugs yeah i want my money back i'm leaving no but uh yeah that's true and i was telling him i told him this and he was like Mozart just rolled over in his grave right now. Verbatim, he said oh, that. Geez. And I was like, well, the only thing that's changed is the texture of mm -hmm. the instrument. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were to take every bit of composition note by note and play it on traditional instruments, even like brass orchestra stuff, you would get the song itself. Yeah. Just done on a different instrument. The mm -hmm. textures have changed, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and he found that hard to argue against, mm -hmm. uh, but he was, you know, feeling the way he did about it. Hopefully, he reflected on it when he went home, <laughs> looked in the mirror. Yeah, I'm before he went to bed and was like, "EDM sure is music." <laughs> I'm sure it was wrong. <laughs> I'm sure someone's uncle changed their mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, um, that's the yeah. So that was the the point I was trying to make with yeah. him. Um, and yeah, the horizon of music is. Things will change, hopefully, as soon as industry lets go of its grip of music. Man, I, I think that is like the the huge the, the biggest thing with, with music is the way that industry has a um has its claw into it and has for so long. Right. Um man, in the actually in the podcast episode that I recorded before this one. It hasn't come out yet. Um, ah. Man, we go into it on on just like capitalism and uh, and a little bit a little bit outside of how it affects music. But that's one of the things that I, I think I've touched on before, like Spotify, for example, how it's you know, yeah, it's just awful, but also it, great at the same time. You know, it's a hard way to feel because yeah. I've been listening to a lot of '60s country mm -hmm. and like. If you were to have me in a situation where I had to find a Merle Haggard record yeah. to listen to it, I would never have listened to Merle Haggard yeah. or, or anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, it immortalizes a bunch of people that yeah. would otherwise have inaccessible music. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it is when we're talking about industry music, they're probably shivering, shivering in their boots right now because let's say 15, 20 years ago, you were in the bands and music. Mm -hmm. You like music? No, but anyway, mm -hmm. like you like Three Doors Down? You like Three Days Grace? You know, like yeah, yeah. You like what you Here's saw on MTV? Three, uh, three bands, right? You really didn't go out of your way to just listen to stuff that wasn't on MTV yeah. or something. Yeah. And so, whoever you liked, the kids at your school happen to like them too. Yeah. Now, because of the internet, it's like more and more. I'm starting to get questions like you listen to this band? And I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, do you listen to this one? And I'm like, no, there's like a million bands now, dude. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. into something now. I have no clue, you know? Uh, and so industry's like kind of shivering in their boots. Yeah. I, a little bit. Um, I also think that's why the music industry got so scared and fought back against Napster and the services where you could literally like, 
you could literally download anything and they weren't making a dime off of it and they weren't able to control these like young art like i i discovered so many artists from you know someone burned me a, an illegal copy of the cd right. or i downloaded it off of napster because i heard of it from someone who mentioned the name or um you know they were thanked and i bought a cd and there was like the thank yous yeah in the in the liner notes and it named all these bands so it's like oh sure yeah i'm gonna look up like the hippos and see what what this band is all about dude i feel it i i feel the same way i remember going on limewire yeah, yeah. And just ruining my computer to yeah. hopefully download the song yeah and hopefully it sounds good enough yeah but also at that point it was word of mouth yeah it really yeah. had to be like this viral infection of yeah. sorts yeah. Um, if you wanted to bypass what you're being spoon fed on the radio or um, on MTV, even though I think some of those bands who made it onto there were gateway type bands, like for mm -hmm. me, it was Newfound Glory. Well, I would say Blink 182 to Newfound Glory. I remember on the radio specifically someone going, like, hey, this new band, Newfound Glory, they're a lot like Blink 182. I was like, yeah. I like Blink 182. So I'll listen to this. I band. see how you mean that, and, where, yeah. you know, Blink 182 is radio and yeah and not in a negative way but yeah. the surface level tip of the iceberg and the newfound glory is something that is more cultist yeah exactly and then i got their cd that was put out on a major label but they were also on on this independent label and then they in their liner notes they thanked like a hundred bands and the cd came with like a mail order Dude. little little card that for the indie label and from there I just got into everything, you know? How sick is that? Yeah. Because I, I can remember the joys of actually giving somebody uh, a, a CD I mixed yeah. of songs and making sure I picked songs they haven't heard before. Yeah. And that was the intention. Uh, and, you know, they'd play it, come back to me, be like, this stuff is sick. Uh, that was just the way it went. And you're so influenced by these friends in, in such a positive way. I had someone who did the same thing when I was in, like, eighth grade. I like, you know, I had like Newfound Glory and a few, a few little like pop punk pins on my backpack. And this girl who I didn't even like think liked punk music at all was like, oh, have you heard this band and that band? I was like, no, I've never listened to Saves the Day or Good Like oh, Up dude. Kids. Yeah. And then she made me this mix CD and on the cover of the CD wrote every band's name. And now like some of those bands are my favorite bands ever. And like, like I stuck with you, you. know, it, like. The fact that she made me that one mix CD and wrote all the names of the bands on it, right? Like, that, what like a huge gift! Like, she's influenced like the next, the rest of my life. This was like twenty years ago now. Yeah, the intent was like there, and that yeah. that's the abstract part of it that supersedes any part of music sharing is the mm. intent. Yeah, somebody intent. can DM me a link or a bunch of curated links for me to songs, and I wouldn't be crazy about listening through yeah you're each gonna one. click through each each of those I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this but also yeah. you give me a cd and i'm like oh this is different we're here in mm -hmm. real life i gotta play this yeah i mean i, I don't want to sound too much like you know like in the old days it was yeah better, yeah like i feel person. like a... <laughs> I, because like you know like i said there's the one of the huge positive <laughs> things about spotify is like everything's on there i love going on like this band is like that band so i found band like yeah newer bands through that or, or, you know, my friends send me a link like, this is crazy. Listen to this. And I will listen to that one link sometimes. Uh -huh. But um, but I feel like we have lost some of the that, those like 
the magic of a compilation. Even record companies used to put yeah, out compilation records. Everybody on their label. Now on you know on Spotify, I'm a band and I released a single. I didn't even care to put out an album. Or my, yeah. the record company doesn't care about. I guess there's playlists now, and maybe it's because I personally haven't gotten into playlists. The thing about that is, and it's a musical history thing where yeah. you know all the songs from the '70s and '80s did a fade out, so mm-hmm. it was easier for the DJs to switch songs or yeah. come back in like yeah. hey thanks for listening to singer songwriter therapy yeah next song up anywho they were doing that and then you would get things where bands in the 90s and 2000s might have one radio hit mm-hmm. but they had to make sure they sold it in an album yeah to sell a full album yeah who cares you you're switching the freaking cd player in your car to listen to one single yeah, off of a three, what a third eye blind CD. You don't care about except that one song. Yeah, and then nowadays the status of the culture, especially for rappers, mm-hmm. is to get a good single that can sell a lot. Yeah, never mind the album or land on a playlist mm-hmm. or be their big hit. And that's why you have rappers doing like six mixtapes a year. Yeah, because as long as Three of those songs are like million dollar songs. They're like cool. It's good. Yeah. And then it's so bloated. And then now you have a, bl- a lot of bands that are, there's less incentive in making an album because mm-hmm. who's going to buy it? If yeah. you're a local band, it's really hard to produce them. Mm-hmm. So making singles that might end up on a playlist is great. Yeah. And I'm guilty as charged when I'm listening because a lot of the newer bands that come up on like my Spotify playlist or radio suggestions, I would like that song perhaps and go check out the artist itself and then feel like I don't really like their other stuff. Yeah. Like shame on me. But that Well, I don't know if it's shame on you. It's also just the um the culture the culture shift is towards writing one good song. And so, you know, um, I don't want to like, I'm not throwing any artists under the bus here or anything. Cause it's not, it's not their fault and it's not really culture's fault. It's just the natural way of happening. You know, yeah. like you, you kind of do what needs to be done to fit into your, into your hobby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I not, I shouldn't call it hobby to, to diminish these people. Like that's a profession, but you know, they're, the thing that they care about, you know, they're, they're creating singles because that's the world that they live in. Yeah. Yeah. The world is asking for that. It's, it's tough because even you and I are walking on eggshells, walking on a tightrope, trying to talk about this in, Mm -hmm. in a way that's analytical. Yeah. yeah. But we have to somehow backstep and um, amend what we're saying Mm -hmm. uh, to be as uh, cordial as we could with it. Yeah. Uh, But it's just the fact of the matter. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a time of albums. I love listening to an album, you know, cause it's a, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's this uh, flowing art piece that I, I, I'm interested in how someone would make that, you know? Yeah. It was like, okay, guys, we're going to get together for possibly three years to yeah. make this happen. Yeah. And you, you kind of knew this and expected this from the, the bands that would make albums. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, even the deep cuts are really enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and then now, you know, I don't know. I sound like a Y2K kid. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> I hate to sound like, okay, boomer. Like, but yeah, I like, know. I mean, now I like it's that just, time now. that's what's happening. Um, yeah. and I get it. Yeah. If it were to, if it were to come to my stuff, uh, you know, I would, 
all this stuff we're gonna do visitor parking in my solo EP, which is severely delayed. Yeah, as always. Yeah. yeah. What What can we do? Yeah. Uh, whoever's listening is gonna be mildly upset, but <laughs> um, I I want to make sure it is an album because it sticks. It's yeah. there. It's yeah. going to be there for years and years and, and years. It's archived at that point, yeah. even if it's not Spotify or whatever streaming service. Yeah, it's like the shot to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I don't I would hate to get some amount of um fame in the most modest way, yeah. and then realize a year or two after it's fizzled out that uh you might have just been a trend. You mm-hmm. know how heartbreaking. That could be, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, and again, just to draw it back to rap, mm-hmm. it happens to them. Yeah. They get a good hit, or like people will start making memes, like, hey, why did so and so fall off? Like, mm-hmm. you know, as a joke. Um, it's just super unpredictable. It's like playing stocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, to bring it back to just like the capitalist world that we live in, you know, like that's that's the core of everything really is the the gamble of the stock market. Straight up. That's a good way to draw it back. Yeah. The capitalism. Except, you know, not to get too like into capitalism, but let's do it. Uh, this like to me, like the stock market and the music industry really isn't a gamble for the the people at the top there. You know, like they they know that they're going to release some music that isn't a hit. And they know that they're going to make a million dollars off of someone who releases a single. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really, it really is a gamble for the artists and the people who are like the, the pawns in the game. Right. Right. For, for us, it's like down here at a local level, small musician level, it's like Pascal's wager. Yeah. If it's Pascal's wager is this thing where, and we'll never mind the main talking about it, but it's this idea that, Back in like 1700s, there was this philosopher that thought, oh, if there is a God, you would benefit better from following and believing him than if you did not. The gains mm-hmm. you would get from not believing him do not outweigh the possibilities of, you know, hell forever yeah. in the afterlife. Yeah. The idea of Pascal's wager with music is it's like you can run what the labels or do what you can try to do, but the benefits will outweigh whatever benefit you might get from not. Yeah, exactly. So if you don't play the game, you don't play the game. Then then you're never going to win, but if you play the game, maybe you might, you'll win. Yeah, 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 right. And that's the wager. And if you lose, it's you're no you're no uh worse off than if you didn't play it to start. Right. At all. Yeah. So the idea of being like a career musician nowadays is tough. Yeah. Got to just be a studio musician or a live touring yeah. musician. Yeah. Cover band. Yeah, yeah, right. It's tough and you're not being a career musician for your own original music is yeah yeah not a not really a thing anymore i feel like yeah i mean i i um for the songs that i write i don't think i could ever make a career off of them maybe some of it is self-confidence but i you know i think our, our last show was with pine and palm at uh this like brewery in lodi and the brewery is kind of like nicer and and I would say, like, attracts a crowd of people typically that maybe don't listen to emo music. Mm-hmm. And before even going in there, I was, I just like felt bad. Like, it, it turned out to be a great show. I don't okay. want to put it down, but I just felt bad that I have these songs that are just, 
I wrote them because they were good for me and like they bummed me out and my friends love them and you know I and I love them but at the same time I was like this isn't the right crowd or like you know my dad my dad will sometimes be like oh you know your maybe your band should play that car show I'm like people at a car show do not want to hear this music they want to hear 70s and 80s and 90s cover band so yeah you know hire the hire the local cover band you know don't no one wants to listen to this right except for people who except for people who are into emo music and that's why like i'm so much more comfortable playing you know a house show we said at the same time (laughs) a house show or or you know your local cool um dive dive (laughs) that you're that i've been playing you know it's like blackwater or something dude Right, right. And uh, that's the, like we said, one of the things where if you don't run with what would be mass appeal to people willing to pay for beers back to back or pay yeah. a, a certain amount of price for a ticket, um, it's tough. And even more so doing cultist type of music. I hate to say cultist, but yeah, like yeah. e- emo is not particular to everybody who would I would think to be above like 35 or 40 you know? yeah i mean it is getting older but <laughs> yeah yeah we are growing up I know. but uh the I same way 19. i felt about when i was playing in yugen mm-hmm. we were an instrumental band yeah. with no singing uh it could have taken singing because the chords and the you know subject matter of the music the way it sounded was really almost conductive for singing but mm-hmm. we were playing a lot of leads yeah it was I think we got a little lucky in the sense that we were playing math rock and stuff that was elegantly like posed as jazz. Mm-hmm. So people who would otherwise not be into emo or math rock knew it was jazz or something yeah. like jazz. Yeah. So when we do something off the wall or stupid, it was like, wow, they're different, you know, mm-hmm. when maybe not quite. And so I remember playing symposium with Yugen. Uh, and there was a crowd of, you know, lack of a better word, normal folks that were like cheering us on. Uh, and it was really nice to see because they can still appreciate the musicianship that went into how we played. Yeah. Like the bass lines and the guitar licks and, and Revis going nuts on the drums. Mm-hmm. It was still enjoyable. It's like, you know, best way I could put it for them is like they were at a Steve Vai show. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> like a you know joe satriani show or something mm-hmm. they're just watching yeah uh, even if they wouldn't put this on in their car so we got really lucky there with yugen um and that was something i recognized because i was reluctant at first to play what would be rather normal shows like festivals because i didn't know if it would have that appeal yeah um but all this newer stuff this rather experimental stuff i'm doing with revis and my solo stuff i don't really see it fitting in there mm-hmm. you know so you know, one yeah. of those things where I'm just going to have to do it because I like it. Yeah. It feels so much better that way. Yeah. So with the new stuff, like the solo stuff and the newer band that you said you'll be singing for, um, can we like maybe pivot a little bit and, and chat about like your songwriting process and like what it what it does for you? Yeah. Uh, the process for me when it comes to instrumentation is uh, – Normally a riff or a type of groove or mm-hmm. rhythm would be stuck in my head. And I always try to make it make it known that in a song, this catchy part is the theme of the song. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason for people to stay around for the song or to put it on. Yeah. Uh, and I 
build on that based mm. off of what I know about where these parts can go. Yeah. Uh, the parts about it that are most therapeutic in all ways is the songwriting, you yeah. know, I'm just working with Lego pieces when we're, when I'm constructing instrumentals Yeah. to be tasteful and enjoyable and, um, in some ways, soulful or heartfelt, but mm -hmm. when I apply my person to it yeah. and write the lyrics for it, is when the ownership just busts through the ceiling. Sure, it's, it's, it's just there's no ceiling anymore, and now I feel like it is mine. Now these themes from like jazz or R&B, whatever influences that everybody has heard before, now those are just secondary to what makes. The, these songs us or me the band or me you yeah know? yeah exactly uh you could listen to bands that sound like um you know the dramatics or something something really soulful from the mm -hmm. 60s that that's already around but then if you do it again even using the same exact progressions or whatever but then sing on it your own way and you've done the music now you have something new that somebody could appreciate for that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's nuts about it. Mm -hmm. Again, we only have so many notes to use. Yeah. You said it about punk. Yeah. Right? About punk, how you could play the same sets of things like the blues yeah, um, yeah. notes. Yeah. But the ownership and the attitude coming from the singer and songwriting yeah. separates it. Yeah. Because everybody's still their own person mm -hmm. no matter what notes they're playing on. Yeah, exactly. So that is the procedure for me when, when mm -hmm. coming up with songs. Yeah. So when you're like, um, when you've been like writing words and, and singing lately, um, how's that been kind of like a, a shift in the mindset for you and, and just in the way you feel versus like in the past when maybe you didn't have to worry about that, you were just worried about the guitar? It's, uh, it's interesting in the sense that songs, and I'm sure everybody can relate, songs that really came from the heart mm -hmm. the year ago that I wrote uh, about whatever pressing matter at the time. Now I look back in a way that is uh, kind of embarrassed. Mm -hmm. But the song just is what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and trying to be vague enough to where there's an abstract quality to the lyrics, mm -hmm. uh, there's only so much of that I can do speaking about myself here yeah um without being too abstract or making no sense in that way so yeah. i really have to pull from a place where i'm normally uncomfortable mm -hmm. to tell people about things is that would you say that the uncomfortable place is when you're leaning more towards like um honesty or uh you know truth versus abstractness I think the uncomfortable part does come from the truth yeah. yeah. that I, I would be speaking in my songs because it's rather easy to say some abstract poetic things mm -hmm. uh, and that can land in a song just anywhere you'd like it to. You know, it's up for interpretation. The listener can personalize it. Yeah. But it's so hard to write a song with a narrative unique to yourself and so particular to yourself mm -hmm. while avoiding tropes, while avoiding... Uh, phrases that are so typically used yeah. and while having the set pieces in the lyrics have a proper pace mm -hmm. um you know what i mean uh it's like to say you walked down to the store um and you could say you just walked down to the store and it was a bad day yeah 
but how to do that in so many different ways is what separates so many different types of people yeah. i would think yeah. and that's the narrative though because i could also just say not say i was walking down to the store and just say the leaves outside are pretty mm-hmm. uh it's not a good day uh i'm looking at rain puddles on the floor yeah and then that's abstract enough but i feel like not personal enough to whatever it is I want to say sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying to hurdle over recently. Yeah. It's how to be more like myself in my own songs. Yeah. Do you think you gravitate towards abstractness as a way to like protect yourself? Yes. Yes. Subconsciously. Yeah. And yeah. especially with when I used to write a lot of uh, metal lyrics, mm-hmm. um, which still had singing accompanied with it. Uh, the abstract stuff was just so cool, you know. Yeah. How how mysterious and uh, 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 you know, implicit is that? Like, yeah. Cloudy skies, mountains, things like that that were yeah. just so commonplace in metal. Mm-hmm. Because in a metal song, you you'd never really have the opportunity to say, uh, that you know, a piece by piece narrative. Like you, you came home and you got broken up with and you got in your car and drove yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really find its place there, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So more so playing the music I play now, it's given me a lot of opportunities to, again, be myself in my music mm-hmm. instead of trying to be Shakespeare. Yeah. So when you've tried to, when you've written these uh, pieces that, uh, you know, are more... Um, more honest and and true to who you are maybe it's maybe it's been you know about something that's not great uh Mm -hmm. you know made you feel shitty or or whatever um how is like how has that been like um how has that helped you maybe work through those things or or get to a place where you're okay with that song and okay with yourself um it it's a process. It's still like a seven steps of, of grieving type yeah, of process. Yeah. You know, the song Your Walls on Spotify that I did, mm-hmm. um, that song was about someone in particular that after I made the song, I was like, you know, this is a good song and I'm proud of it. And then sometimes six months after, I was like, oh, God, this is such a whiny song, you know, <laughs> like I'm such a brat. Like, yeah. um, like almost taking it away from myself like oh this, this is unwarranted i have no i have no right yeah. to feel this way um but then coming up like a year and a half now at this point uh i find that it is a good song and it reflects tim from that time yeah it doesn't have to be me now and if somebody enjoys it that's good enough but that's how i i got that out of my system yeah um and that's why i'm not tim from that time anymore yeah i think that's a great way to describe songwriting because i i I think that there's a maturity that comes with every single song you write where you write it and you're into it because like, yeah, I just got that feeling out that I'm feeling very heavily mm-hmm. or or I'm thinking about and I feel that very heavily. And then and then there's a time afterwards where you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm embarrassed that I, I felt that way or or, you know, I'm embarrassed that uh, I wrote about that person or something. Yeah. And, and there is that that point where you're like, oh, wait, that is a good song that is a snapshot of me. That's a document of me at that time in my life. Yeah. Cause in any way you put it, it is the truth that yeah. you have to live. You, yeah, you felt exactly. that way and you wrote that song. So you're living your truth out. Yeah. Um, there are things I used to do in the past, um, like writing conceptual albums mm-hmm. that weren't about me. Yeah. Really impersonalized. Uh, or again, using abstract lyrics that at the end of the day, the song had no point. 
Mm-hmm. There were just wordplay that I really enjoyed. Uh, and a lot of that stuff was like not addressing things about myself. It was kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like disassociating yeah. from myself yeah. instead to uh, distract myself with songwriting mm-hmm. instead of addressing myself with it. So yeah. I'd write make, made, up, made up song lyrics, like conceptual song lyrics about, you know, somebody, you know, leaving this planet or something. Yeah, yeah. But there's no real application to what it does for me. Yeah, I, I think um, that's such a great way of describing um, people or just songs that are written that aren't, you know, about a personal thing per se, but are more of like this fantasy or, or you know, narrative of, of something else is disassociating. Because one of the things that I think I struggle with as um, as a songwriter and as like someone that's creating this particular podcast that is about like songwriting and how songwriting is like personal to the individual um, is, you know, what do I say to someone who I ask them about their, their songwriting meanings and they're like, this song has no meaning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's something that I I'm afraid of and I, and I'm, I'm struggling with from time to time is, you know, I, I, as a songwriter, have always wanted to find meaning in it because I think that's the kind of music that I was into before I was a songwriter, right? You know, mm-hmm. something that evoked emotion from me. Um, and, you know, I think what it really comes down to is people might not be ready to talk about what it's about, even if it is a song that is this disassociative event. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a reason why they're, they don't want to write about the truth. You know, they want to write about yeah something else i think coming from me and this might only apply to me but Mm -hmm. writing songs like that was escapism it was in its most musical way like video games or playing with toys Mm -hmm. you know you're using your songwriting abilities to explore uh something else that isn't your reality yeah Uh, and it's just like that playing a video game or the same way you would think up a sci-fi script for a movie. Yeah. Um, there can be themes of human elements, yeah. but for the most part, a lot of the reality parts aren't, aren't real. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when that happens, I, I think just based off my relation, I, I could have, I could have with people that have wrote songs that way is mm-hmm. I can understand, you know, they were for the most part having fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, if you're not writing sad songs, you might just be having fun instead. Yeah. I don't know where the middle ground is with songwriting. Yeah. If it's not sad or if it's not like just tomfoolery or fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean somewhere's the middle I, ground, but I can't. I think find there's it. different there's different like subject matter that is super like um like typical of songwriting. It's like sad songs, party songs political punk rock yeah um and uh, i don't know those are the three i can think of off, off the top of my head but they're like the gray areas what's the what's the like what's, what's the like i just felt yeah. all right songs, <laughs> yeah you know it was an okay day <laughs> yeah. uh but i mean that maybe, would be maybe we can't think of it because that doesn't that doesn't appeal that would be I mean? um either that one song but then i got high oh yeah or, <laughs> yeah or uh party like a rock star by the uh who's they did that ozzy osbourne sample they were uh from texas east side boys i think oh, man party like a rock 
party like a <laughs> rock star. Anywho, um, but those uh, I think they just reflect people. Yeah, you, you can't yeah. help you. You can't again diminish the value from songwriting. Just like diminishing how complex music can be, you're gonna ruin music for yourself. You'll ruin songwriting for yourself if you're just like, oh, I have problems. Yeah, like everybody else, I'm boring or these lyrics are boring oh mm -hmm. everybody gets their heart broken this song sucks that's really reductive you know yeah yeah or to be like it's just a, a reflection of the culture if yeah. you're going through the bubonic plague you might have some songs about that happening yeah for um, sure. <laughs> well i mean yeah i think you're right it is like reductive to say that oh this everyone has this is just like everyone else why does why do my why does my pain and uh like emotions even matter um but i think that's what really songwriting should be about is like it, it is a little selfish in a way to write a song yeah. to get yourself through something but that's sometimes that's what's needed it's like it's a little bit of treat yourself in a way to me yeah i think it all comes down to treating yourself and also again doing it for yourself yeah. just like any music uh, and I like to draw again the the analogy to rap music mm -hmm. and how there is no shortage of rappers, right? Yeah. Especially big name rappers we can remember. But for whatever reason, each one of them still finds out a different way to say how they fucked my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or the reductive part of that is to say all rappers do is rap about women, money, and, and such and such and yeah, go yeah. on this tirade about uh, what what rap music's themes are, but people miss the point where there is something really interesting mm -hmm. in the way that rappers are able to take something that has been said before but say it differently. Yeah, yeah. Whether definitely. it's how much money you have, which we've heard in thousands, millions of songs, but the appeal to it is the poet, the poetic side of how they say it. Um, so again, we're we're all similar people, but the individual can make it relate to themselves or do it differently. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's why I'm a rap fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice, cool. So, um, yeah. Uh, before we like uh, close out the like chatting portion of the podcast, is there any like anything you want to plug or uh, anywhere where people can um, interact with you? Yeah, um, I am just Tim Dara on Instagram. Uh, I'm also Stockton Memes two zero nine on Instagram. <laughs> I had to plug that one quick. Yeah, of course. Uh, Tim Dara on Spotify for my solo stuff. Visitor parking is in the works. Rebus and I have been rehearsing and writing. Um, and that's that. Cool. That is me. Awesome. Um, well, I'm gonna pause this uh, this recorder and then we'll figure out what we want to do to uh, get some some music laid down. Nice. Hello, I am Tim Dara. There is no song here, but there's something I'm going to make up. Just going to improv some lyrics over some chords and scale shapes I am very comfortable in. So here we go. <laughs>
Okay, so this next one is uh, a demo recording of a visitor song parking that we're currently working on. It's not quite final, and I will also be ad-libbing some lyrics. So, here we go.